So next up, we have Livent, which is a $3.8 billion market cap company. NYSE traded $21. Uh, David Deckelbaum has a $35 target price and a buy recommendation. Livent went public in 2018 at around $18 or $17. So not the most stellar performance. It doesn't have it has very much of an institutional following, not a huge retail following, and maybe uh, videos like this will, uh, you know, a little bit help with that. But I do notice that there are a number of companies, producing companies, that have projects in advanced stages of development that the market gives them almost no value for, and I think that is the case here with Namaska inside Liven. So uh, if you compare it to many of the other companies on this panel at earlier stage exploration, or even some that are reasonably advanced, they have very substantial market caps. And um, so with that, very uh, privileged to have Sarah Maricel here, who recently joined Livent in a business development capacity to focus on Canada in particular. She left Tesla, and uh, we're having David Deckelbaum at Cowan, or TD Cowan now, who has covered Livent for quite some time. To all of our viewers who, who know my kind of go long what Tesla is short and, you know, entrepreneurs should enter, you know, the mining and refining of lithium. I, I'm looking at Sarah and thinking that, you know, maybe she saw more upside in LTHM shares than TSLA shares. But uh, I'm not expecting any comment on that. And I will um, let David start the questioning from here. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Sarah, for joining us today. Maybe just to, you can talk about just your initial impressions just joining Livent as this emerging kind of dual producer from Brian, obviously down in Argentina, and all those emerging projects up in Canada. You know, maybe some of your particular attraction to Namaska and how you see it sort of fitting in broader lithium ecosystem, but really the broader Livent portfolio. Sure. No, I, I think look, Namaska has uh, been a project that's been in the pipeline for a number of years now. It's well known to, to us folks in the industry. And now there's a really a channel for Namaska 2.0. I think it's coming in. It's a project that's coming in at a really sort of a very different time in, in the supply chain. I think we're seeing now before, I think there was maybe a lot of questions on whether the, the energy transition and electrification was real. I think today there is no doubt that the energy transition is happening. So we're entering, I would say, Namaska, um, bringing it on Namaska online at, at a very different period in the supply chain. I think as well um, with the announcement of the IRA in August last year, that has certainly been a game changer and again puts the importance of Canadian lithium and FTA and lithium produced in FTA countries as well um, at top of the priority list. So there's a confluence of factors today, which I say from both a market standpoint and from a supply standpoint, which make Namaska a really exciting project. I think beyond Namasco, um, Canada is an exciting jurisdiction, again, for the benefits of, 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 the, um, of the IRA, but also because a lot of consumers are now very focused on the importance of sustainability, of strong mining practices and a good rule of law, once, and, and obviously low carbon footprint, all of which we, we feel Canada really supports. Sarah, you know, it's interesting you brought up the IRA. You know, it seems like plans at Namasco maybe have changed to accelerate time to market. Uh, can you talk about just maybe some of the the alterations in, in the original plan at, at what you're going to be doing at Wabuchi and then subsequently downstream, uh, particularly with the the concept of selling uh, hard rock uh, spodumene concentrates in the market before lithium chemicals? 
Sure. Um, so as we've announced publicly, we'll be bringing on Wabuchi, hoping for the end of 24, early 25. Look, I think we really see ourselves as a tr- strategic supplier to, to the battery supply chain. And, and so I think we still see the way that we would market that spodumene going to some strategic partners, which we hope to finalise in, in the coming months. You know, I think now we're seeing OEMs and um, actually all players on the battery supply chain getting a lot more sophisticated with the tightness we're seeing in lithium. They're open to not just buying lithium hydroxide, but they're open to now buying intermediate products such as spodumene concentrate. And really as part of that, I think it's 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 an urgency to bring more supply to market. I, I would say it's very much part of seeing a supply chain that is maturing and really learning to take more risk in terms of how it manages and it controls its raw material supply. And I guess, how, how do you think about just the, the downstream integration that lag between bringing on Wabuchi versus subsequently bringing on the Masca. How much of a natural lag is there? No, I think part of uh, creating that lag, so bringing on the spodumene first and then bringing on Beconcourt conversion a, a couple of years later, I think that integration is difficult. And when you're trying to integrate from day one, that can create a lot of execution risk. So by staggering the two, I think it sort of you know allows you to bring on the concentrator uh, in time, I think get that producing product at a consistent level, allows you as well to monetize that from, from, from the sale of, of spodumene, and then sort of fine tune, obviously, as the conversion plan comes up, really sort of manage that integration. So rather than bring on two sites at the same time, staggering that really helps, I think, deal with the operational complexity and, and, and difficulties, especially because you're dealing with the qualification of a product like lithium hydroxide, which takes a lot of time. And so ensuring you've got a consistent feed of, of spodumene concentrate really helps as well in achieving that, that qualification um, milestones. We've seen, at least with other hard rock projects in Quebec, a flurry of offtake agreements for, for spodumene. I guess, where, where do you think that most of the initial year's production is going to end up? Does it ultimately get processed in China? Are you seeing sort of available converters opening up in other parts of the world that you think would be a logical partner for for Wabuchi? I think in the near term, it's clear that um, a lot of that material is going to have to be processed in China, especially because I imagine that the concentrates that will be starting up will potentially be a variable spec and maybe not meet sort of the 5.56% lithium oxide. So in order to deal with that kind of inconsistency, I think China would be obviously the best um, outlet for, for that type of concentrate. I think it really depends on how quickly the other projects, you know, there have been projects that have been announced in Texas, in, in potentially in Europe. It really depends how quickly they come to scale. They will also need to accept material relatively soon as they start to ramp up. I think China will always be the backstop until we see more of that refining capacity, qualified refining capacity come to market. I guess maybe you can take a, a step back and just talk about Canada in general as, as a market. Lithium industry, at least in the supply side, seems to receive the shot in the arm, at least from Spajim and Nines sort of proliferating in Quebec at this point. We obviously haven't seen much movement in the U.S. on the upstream side. How would you kind of compare the market opportunities in Canada versus uh, other parts of the world with natural you know, hard rock deposits in focus, maybe Africa, maybe Australia? You know, do you see this as a as a collaborative environment right now? Is it highly competitive? There's obviously a ton of focus on the government of building out Beckencore and this downstream sort of hub of, of battery related materials. 
I mean, I think we see a lot of potential, right? I mean, I think given sort of the history of mining processing within Canada, I think makes it a really strong jurisdiction for which to really bring in lithium chemicals as a specialty product. We see that it's extremely competitive. I think, look, if you look at Australia and how quickly Australia ramped up spodumene production back in 2018 in response to, to, to the demand, I think that we saw was, was, quite, was quite impressive. I think the difference with Canada is, you know, look, it's, it's still, it's been underexplored relative to Australia and we're seeing a a lot of exploration activity. I think that Canada has made a commitment to try and streamline and, 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 and shorten the permitting process where possible. But that in itself comes with challenges and, and also sort of dealing with the communities and the other standards which which a lot of the um, producers need to need to abide by. So there is, I think, a lot of potential. I think as well it's going to be a question of the downstream because we, we see that spodumene supply can come online if we look at Australia as a reference, as I said back in 2018. But if we are going to restrict our ability to send that spodumene to China in order to be IRA compliant and to committed to regional supply chains, building out that downstream capacity in Canada is going to take longer. I think now it's safe to say that the bottleneck of the lithium supply chain is spodumene supply, and that is evident by the prices. Downstream capacity, not so much because there is abundant capacity in China. But as the IRA, the geopolitics shifts, if we start to see again an increase in spodumene supply, that's going to shift potentially the bottleneck down to the downstream, especially if China then becomes restricted. I think it will be uh, an interesting evolution of, of the prices and supply demand dynamics as a result of this geopolitics environment in which we're in today. We really haven't seen a ton of consolidation in the industry. You know, perhaps it's just because the nature of these projects and Liban's relationship with Namaska now dates back years, uh, and now we have visibility to have seeing production in the next couple of years, and that's perhaps coincident with how long it takes planning on these projects. But do you expect that that this will be a cornerstone to set for further consolidation, particularly in hard rock, or do you think that we're just going to see some of these resources just getting larger over time, or are initial designs really the practical limitations of, of what these resources can bear? No, I think, look, given that, that Canada maybe historically has been underexplored versus versus Australia, I think it's it's yet to see how big some of these resources can be. But certainly I would say some of the results that we're seeing out of James Bay would indicate you, we could be having mega projects, spodumene projects out of Canada. And, and I think that will reveal itself probably in the next 12 to 18 months. On the topic of consolidation, absolutely. I think that is what is going to be needed to be successful, right? We've seen that across many examples, across um, decades where industries, as, as they mature, consolidate. And in order, I think, to, to in increase speed to market, reduce project execution risk, that is exactly what's going to be needed. We need scale. And that is certainly what we're hearing, I think, from, from the market. If you, if you speak to a lot of the supply chain, they don't want to be sourcing, you know, 10,000 tonnes of hydroxide from five, six different players, right? They would rather be sourcing that equivalent volume from two or three major players. And that also is a question of speed to market, as I mentioned, but also in terms of qualification. It's much more complex to, to have to qualify six different supplies, especially six different supplies that have different abilities and maturities in terms of chemical processing. It becomes very difficult of a supply chain to manage. And I think as you move to more uh, larger and more complex supply chains, um, battery supply chain is going to look for, for more consolidation in, in, its, in the way that it sources uh, as a way, again, to, um, to, to, to scale and, and to decrease qualification risk. When you think about the future of lithium, you know, five, 10 years from now. What do, what do you think about the, how do you think about the efficiency of the market with multiple streams of hard rock at different grades, obviously different properties going into singular converters, which is not the way that the industry is set up right now. Now, 
How big of an issue do you think that this becomes? And then you know, how do you think about that longer term as, as you start to build out more of your own chemical capabilities? I think, again, if it's to achieve scale and quality, it, you have to sort of integrate as many of these facilities as possible. That's how you get. The, and again, that really comes down to consistency of the feed. If you're tailoring uh, a downstream process with different feed inputs, different blends that change on, on a regular basis, you just cannot operate your plants at, at optimum capacity. So I, I think that is certainly the, the, the near-term fix, and I think that is what we're seeing with, with spodumene being exported to China. Uh, but I think if you're really thinking about the long term, a lot of these projects will need to be integrated in some way. And I, I think that we, we need to challenge as well what does integration look like, right, and how do we design these supply chains to be as efficient as possible? Is making an intermediate lithium sulfate a solution, right, and then exporting that to have that further refined in Europe? Or are you better off just taking that to direct a hydroxide close to the mine? I think these are the type of questions that we need to ask ourselves as we build out these supply chains. We need to make these supply chains as efficient as possible, not add complexity for the sake of adding complexity. So I, I think it will be interesting as we as we emerge, I think it really into the second chapter of, of this energy transition. I, I characterize the first chapter as really sort of the, the, the learning, um, you know, the supply chain learning how this works and now to actually executing. I think it'll be interesting to see how a lot of these how these supply chains are designed. Uh, and I think efficiency really needs to be the name of the game. Hey, what, what are you most excited about in the next year or so where if we were having this conversation again, uh, we would look back and be like, man, look at all these things that happened at Namasco. What, what are the things that are top of mind for you? I think it's it's really seeing the OEMs and the battery supply chain getting more active and involved. I think seeing sort of a number of deals over the course of, of the last six to nine months is really, I think, an, a good bellwether for what we're going to see again over the over the coming 12 to 18 months. Um, and, and I think it's really a different model, business model playing out. You know, I think as, as Howard pointed out in his opening remarks, the need for more entrepreneurship in mining. That's absolutely right. And I think that's exactly what the junior mining um, industry brings. And, and OEMs, I think, willing to take that risk is, is really a demonstration of that type of entrepreneurship entrepreneurship spirit, which I think is exciting about the mining industry. You know, we've seen the major miners um, today, I think, a reluctance to invest and certainly a reluctance to invest in, in, in lithium, with obviously the exception of Rio Tinto. But you really think, I think you're really seeing the OEMs and junior miners, I think, really taking that and, and, and showing that they're willing to take the risk. And I think that is really exciting because that's really a disruptor, I think, for the mining industry and the refining industry. So what I'm excited about is, is seeing more deals whether that's with Namaskar or broadly in the industry, I, I think that is really what we should be um, looking out for.